Uh, it's so good to be home. As many of you know, uh, my family was on vacation this last week in Maui. And uh, yeah, so we were in uh, Kanapali, which is a town just north of Lahaina. And so from the balcony of our condo, we watched as Lahaina just burned to nothing. And so it was uh, pretty intense, devastating to watch, um, even harder to see the aftermath of it all. Um, but my family, we were safe the entire time, although we didn't have power or cell service. We had to even ration our food for a couple days because we couldn't get out with all the roads being closed. Um, but, you know, what we went through is very little in comparison to what uh, the people of Maui have been through and what they will be going through uh, in the coming days and weeks and months, even years of what uh, has happened over there. So. Um, thankfully, we were able to make it out from the west side um, and stayed with a family um, on the other side of the island. Uh, that family, the husband is a firefighter, and so he was out fighting the fires while we were staying in his house. And we're just so thankful for um, them and for uh, what they'll be uh, doing just to help. So. Yeah, a lot of people are wondering and asking ways that you can get involved and help in the relief efforts that are happening in Maui. And so I wanted to give you guys just two ways um, that you can be uh, supporting. First is just be praying. Um, be praying for the people of Maui as they rebuild and restore uh, what they've lost. Um, some of the things you just can't get back, but um, the, the people there are strong. And so... Um, but there are two Calvary chapels on the west side of Maui. One of them is Kumalani Chapel, which uh, we got to visit actually the last Sunday. And that church is pastored by Ricky Ryan, who was my first pastor at Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara. And um, so it's great to see him and to connect there. It's a satellite campus of Harvest Christian Fellowship, Pastor uh, Greg Laurie. And so if you want to go to harvest.org, there is a relief fund that is set up for Maui, and that money goes to Kumalani Chapel for them to be serving uh, the people in need right now. Um, there's also a Calvary Chapel in West Maui, and they also have a relief fund set up. So those are two Calvaries that, that are on the ground working, uh, two that I know personally that you could support. Um, but yeah, just in the coming days and weeks, months, like I said, even years, um, they're saying estimated $5 billion worth of damage. Like I said, um, the loss of life, you, you can't get back. Um, some of the history there is uh, just gone. So um, be praying and think of ways that you can get involved. But it is very nice to be home. <laughs> um, we landed last night and... Um, yeah, just so grateful for our church family. So, you know, the, there's a time for mourning and there's a time for rejoicing. And the Bible tells us that as a body of Christ, we want to rejoice with those who rejoice and we want to mourn with those who mourn. And uh, there is a family in our church who is going through a time of mourning right now. Um, as you guys know, we have been giving you updates about the Swint family uh, Miley and Percy Swint brought their baby boy Ohi into this world several weeks ago, um, but when he was born, he had some complications at birth that um, caused some damage to his brain, and uh, they have entrusted their baby to King Jesus, and Ohi is with the Lord now in heaven, and there is a comfort of hope knowing that. Um, I got a text from uh, Percy Swint after the message that I'm giving this morning. Um, it's a meaty message that we're going to get into today, and I love what he said. He said, 
oh man, I'm craving some steak this morning. So um, they're hopeful, um, but we want to definitely come around that family and just pray for them in this uh, season of grief. So um, yeah, so much going on, but God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into God's word. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 5 today, so if you want to start getting your Bibles out, uh, that's where we'll be. So let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this church family, for the ways that you are moving and working here, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that um, we would just be mindful of the ways that we can be praying and supporting uh, those who are suffering right now, Lord. So we thank you that with the comfort with which we've received, we can comfort others. And I pray, God, that you would um, work through your church family um, in this time uh, for both the people in Maui and also for the Swint family in our church, Lord. We love you and we thank you for um, your grace and your mercy in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we are going to continue in the book of Hebrews this morning. We are in chapter 5. We'll pick it up at verse 11. And we're going to make our way into Hebrews chapter 6, verse 3 today. And so let me read um, the passage of Scripture. Uh, I'm thankful to Pastor Rob, who gave a wonderful message last Sunday uh, while we were away, So, um, but glad to be with you again. So Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11, let me read our text for today. It says, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. I want to remind you guys today that God's word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And um, I pray that it works on us today. And this message that we're coming into this morning uh, is the third warning in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, there are five warning sections um, and we've heard two of them so far. The first one was that we were warned not to drift away from what we have heard, uh, that, that we've heard the gospel of salvation and, and to anchor ourselves, not drifting from that hope. Then second, we were warned not to have a heart of unbelief and to not be like that wilderness generation who failed to enter the rest of God. They, they came up short of God's promises for them. And so even as I think about that rest that we have in Jesus, I'm so thankful that there's a rest and a peace in Jesus. Amen? Amen. You know, when natural disasters occur or when families experience the loss of loved ones, what would we do if we didn't have the rest of God? 
And the rest that we have in Jesus, that is our comfort, it's our hope, it's the peace that we anchor our souls to. And so while we've talked about not drifting and not neglecting this salvation, we don't want to come up short of the eternal salvation that is in Christ. What the message is, is be careful that you don't miss out on all that God has for you. Be warned about that. As we come into this third warning, what we're going to do is spend two Sundays hearing this warning. And look, I know that there can be this sense in us where we don't like to be warned. And because warnings can kind of be heavy, right? And sometimes we prefer to keep things light. And let's be honest, you know, going on my vacation to Maui, I know the the need for having comfort and ease and rest and relaxation, just chilling out, you know, and although we didn't quite get that, you know, when they say you need a vacation from your vacation, that, that kind of applies here. Um, but, but there's also times when you're not meant to take things lightly. You're not meant to take things so leisurely. You know, when the warnings came to us uh, of this fire, we took it very seriously. We didn't just, you know, oh, you know, it's all burning around us. (laughs) You know, we took that seriously. And and you can't approach matters of life and death so easily. And the Bible deals with very serious matters. It deals with matters of life and death, and not just physical life and death, but spiritual life and death. And the writer of Hebrews was rightfully concerned about the spiritual lives of the Hebrews. They they were in danger of spiritual death. And so he warns them of that. Because following Jesus, is it's a really serious matter, right? Our discipleship is one that requires warnings from time to time because there are many dangers in this world. And there are dangers that if we're not warned about, they can be very costly, For instance, we know that Jesus said, you know, you can gain the whole world, but lose your own soul. You know, you you want to take warnings like that seriously. And God gives us these warnings in his word because he wants us to live and not die. He wants us to find our rest and our safety and our, our refuge in him. And so I pray that the word of God, as we hear this warning today, that it that it would you know, signal to us, hey, be alert, be attentive to the things of God, be be sharp to his promises, don't don't be dull in your hearing. So verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 5 says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So the writer has come to a point in the letter where there seems to be kind of this abrupt transition, right? Where in chapter four, he started talking about how Jesus is our great high priest. And he's going to continue talking about Jesus as our great high priest all the way into chapter 10. But before he goes into the deep truths about Jesus, about how he's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, he pauses to give this warning And so the warning starts here where he says, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. So what's he referring to there? Well, he's referring to what he just talked about in verses 9 and 10 that says, in being made perfect, he, being Jesus, became a source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. 
and being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So I know that last week, Pastor Rob touched briefly on who this fellow Melchizedek is and how Jesus is connected with him. And and we're going to go into greater detail about Melchizedek once we come to chapter 7. But before getting really into it, before the writer gets to chapter 7, he wants to make sure that the people are ready for it. Because he's saying Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and there's a lot to explain about that. Because even though Melchizedek is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament, once in Genesis chapter 14, and again in Psalm 110, just really only a few sentences about this guy, there's a lot that can be said about who Melchizedek is. There's a lot about how Jesus relates to him, and the writer is saying, I want to tell you about all this, but it's hard to explain. It's not hard to explain because the writer can't explain Melchizedek. He's going to do that in chapter 7. It's hard for the writer to explain because the audience has become dull of hearing. Now, there's some questions that at this point we ought to ask ourselves in our study of Hebrews. Very simply, the first one is, do you know who Melchizedek is? You're like, well, yeah, learned about him last week, right? Maybe aside from hearing about him last week, do you know who Melchizedek is? Do you know how Melchizedek relates to Jesus being our great high priest? And then with answering those questions, I want you to also in your own heart and in your own mind ask one more question. I want you to ask, how long have you been a believer? So do you know who Melchizedek is? Do you understand how he relates to Jesus being our high priest? And how long have you been a believer for? And there's many reasons, right, for why a person might not know who Melchizedek is. First, it might be because you haven't been a Christian for very long, and you're still learning the Bible, and you're growing in your understanding of the Word of God. You haven't come to Hebrews chapter 7 yet. Um, Or perhaps you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're just now learning the Bible because either you've never read the Bible before for yourself, or you've never been in a place where the Bible is really being taught to you. And so either way, what we would want to realize today as we're going through the book of Hebrews is that we each have a responsibility before God to know his word. Because the word of God is like food that nourishes the believer's soul. And it's, it's, you got to think about it. It, If you're going to devote your entire life to following Jesus, don't you think you'd want to know what he says in this book? And if, if this book is everything that you would need to know about God and everything that you need to know about yourself, wouldn't you want to read it and understand it? Because the Word of God is how we grow. It's how we grow in our understanding of God. It's how we grow in our spiritual maturity. And so there really should be a reality in your life if you're a Christian, which is that you would be a lifelong learner of the Word of God. You see, there's a dangerous condition, though, that can set in upon us. And it's a condition that had set in upon the Hebrews where they had become dull of hearing. 
The writer desperately wanted to go deep and to get serious about these things, but these Hebrews were still waiting in the shallows. And they become dull in hearing because the word of God was not moving them anymore. And I want you to notice how it says they had become dull of hearing. Meaning that at one time they had heard the word and they had heard it sharply, meaning that the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, it had been proclaimed to them and it had even pierced them. At one time they were attentive to the things of God and they were hungry for God and the word of God was doing radical things in their lives as they were hearing it, but over time they had become dull. It's not that the word of God had changed because the word of God is and always will be sharp. No, it's not the word that had changed. What had changed is that the Hebrews had become dull in their hearing of the word. And this wasn't an ear problem so much as it was a heart problem. There was a time when they were eager for the word and, and now they were lazy. There was a time when they wanted to learn about Jesus. Now they were just apathetic. There was a time when they were spiritually sharp, but now they were sluggish. And at one time they seemed to have faith, but now they were no longer mixing faith with what they were hearing. And so when this was first written, the writer knew how long it was that the original recipients of this letter were saying that they'd been Christians for. They'd been Christians for about 25 years because this is the first generation that benefited from, from the preaching of the apostles of Jesus Christ. The, the people that actually walked and were trained by Jesus were the ones who proclaimed the message of Christ to these Hebrew Christians 25, maybe 30 years before. And so the Hebrews got to hear that message, but now they were dulled to it. You know, this incredible testimony of Christ, and that was like, meh. And perhaps this is sort of how they'd become. It's just like, yeah, you know, I'm a sinner. Can't do anything to earn my salvation. And you know, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he died on a cross for my sins. And three days later, you know, Jesus rose from the dead, and he appeared to over 500 witnesses. Some of them are still alive. And yeah, I know about Jesus. He's all right. You know, I'm kind of being dramatic and a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there. But isn't that sort of this condition that can fall upon us or that we can drift into where we become dull to the things of God? And I'll be the first to admit it. I'll be first to say that there's been times and seasons in my life where the truth about the person, the work of Jesus Christ doesn't move me like it used to. Where, where what is meant to just impact me, change me, and transform me, I can just kind of be like, eh, I heard it before. You know? And, and that's dangerous if, if, if you get into this place where, you know, you're like, ah, I've heard it before. You know, I've been sitting in church for 25 years hearing this stuff. 
Can somebody please tickle my ears because I'm not feeling it anymore? And you see, the Hebrews, they, they may have been Christians for, say, 25 years, but in reality, it's like they'd only been one-year-old Christians 25 times. They'd become dull in their hearing. And verse 12 through 13 says, for though by this, by the way, are you guys all good? Okay, good. You're hearing this? Everyone's listening? Okay, good. You all seem very attentive and alert today to the word of God. I just want to encourage you. This is a message for each one of us, myself included. If you're, you know, hearing the message right now and you're like, well, this person over here really needs to hear this, you know, you know, elbow your husband or whatever, you know, it's like, no, this is for all of us to hear. And so if you're listening, if you're hearing, you should be hearing for yourself in faith. And, and um, if you're feeling some conviction, conviction is good. Condemnation, not good. Conviction, good. If you're feeling some conviction, it means you're sharp. You're okay. So let's, let's keep going. You guys want to keep going? Should I stop? Okay. Verse 12 through 13. It gets a little bit more. Here we go. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to deceive distinguish good from evil. So this is a sharp warning, and we want to make sure that it doesn't fall on dull ears and cold hearts. And so he's saying here in verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. What does that mean? Well, he means that by the time that they had become Christians, or at least the time that these Hebrews had professed to have become Christians, they ought to already by now be teachers. Enough time had passed, maybe five years, 10 years, 15, 25, 30 years at the most had passed since they had heard the word of God, since they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the savior of the world. And enough time had gone by where they had opportunity to have the word of God explained to them to where they could understand it, that by this time, they ought to be able to do that for others. They ought to be able to now explain and proclaim the gospel to others. They ought to be able to teach by now, but they were not able because they were dull. And they weren't taking serious what it means to grow in Christ, and they had stunted in their growth. And this was a problem then, it's certainly still a problem today. So here's the charge against them that, that deserved a warning. He's saying, you should be able to teach by now based upon how long you've been hearing the word of God, but instead, you still need to be taught the basic principles of the oracles of God. In fact, you don't even probably know what the oracles of God means. How long did you say you've been a Christian for? Did, did you say you've been in the church since you were a young child? Oh, that's nice. All your life you've been in the church. But in your understanding of Jesus, it, it seems that you're still at the level of a young child. 
For both, by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again and again and again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. And you see, the word of God is spiritual food that is meant to nourish the believer's soul. And the word of God has many different parts, right? It's got parts that are simple and easy to understand. And it's got these parts that are more complex and difficult to, the, to understand. But what happens is when a person is born again, when they become a believer in Jesus Christ, yes, they, they come into the kingdom like a child. You're born again. It's like a new birth that happens. But we're called toward maturity. We're called to grow. And our growth comes in time with hearing and hearing with faith. But there ought to come a time, right, where, where you can then teach others what you know about God. And what this is not saying is this isn't saying that everybody should be a pastor or everybody should be, you know, a Bible study leader or teacher, you know. Um, you should know from the Bible that God calls and gifts certain people for the role of teaching in the body of Christ. Even James says not many of you should become teachers, knowing that teachers will be held to a stricter judgment. But in the body of Christ, we are all called to be teachers of the word of God. Because in the same way that all are called to give, but some have the gift of giving, or how all are called to evangelize, but some have the gift of evangelism, or how all are called to serve, but some have that particular gift of serving, in the same way some may be gifted in teaching and have a role in the body of Christ for teaching, but all are called to teach in the body of Christ, every last one of us. So just because you're not a pastor, you don't have a gift of teaching, doesn't mean that you don't teach, because look, everyone teaches something. The question is, what are you teaching? Are you teaching the oracles of God? Which, by the way, the oracles of God is just a fancy word for the promises of God. So do you believe and do you live out God's promises in such a way that either by speech or by example, you're able to teach others? Because it says here, you ought to be able to. And that word ought has the idea that this is your moral responsibility before God. This isn't, this isn't optional. You know, people say, oh, well, I don't teach. Yes, you do. <laughs> we all teach something. Everyone is teaching their own truth. But the question is, is your truth God's truth? Everyone's teaching something. But do you teach the things of God? And I can't give you a hard number when a Christian ought to be able to teach, but, but listen, I have three kids in my family, and, and I'm 35 years old, and, and I teach some things to my nine-year-old. And then my nine-year-old also teaches things to my six-year-old. And then my six-year-old teaches some things to my two-year-old. And then my two-year-old can even teach me some things. You see, in a family doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian for, we ought to all be able to instruct other people about the things of God, and, and it's our moral responsibility to do that. It's not optional. Now, I'm using my kids as illustrations today. They'll, I'll, yeah, they can ask for forgiveness later when they're older. Um, 
part of being a pastor's kid, I guess. Um, but each one of my kids, you know, I've got a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old. They each have been raised and nurtured in my home. And when our children were born, they started out on a steady diet of milk. And my beautiful wife, Leah, nursed my kids and uh, did awesome. She's almost done. <laughs> and, and, you know, when you have children, if any of you are parents, you know that, you know, you start out on just milk. But then you eventually introduce different foods to your kids. And, you know, you might start out with a little bit of pureed carrots or some sweet potatoes. Eventually, you know, you move on to some you know, smashed avocado. Some of you are like, wow, that was a long time ago. But, you know, it's this, this or you'll get there one day, right? This is how you, you feed kids. And then eventually, you know, you chop up meat into little pieces and you got to cut the hot dogs in half so they don't choke on them, right? And, and eventually, you know, your children get to this point where they're able to eat a full tri-tip dinner that their dad barbecues, you know, where, where there's just, just meat and corn on the cob and watermelon and just the full shebang, and it's making me hungry right now because it's second service and lunches after this, right? And over time, what my children are able to do is they're able to grow in their digestive ability to not just drink milk, which they did when they were babies, but then they're able to eventually eat a big summer barbecue. They can have tri-tip and all kinds of ribs off the bone and everything like that, right? And in the same way, there comes a point when you have been discipled or mentored or coached or whatever you want to call it, or you've just been in the church hearing the word of God, where after some time, if you're not doing that for others, there looks to be a maturity problem. You ought to be further along than you are. You know, this next uh, spring, we're going to Israel together as a church, and some of you guys will be going there. And in Israel, we'll go to the Dead Sea. And do you know why the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea? It's because there's no life in it. Because uh, the salt level is so high that nothing can survive in it. And, and the reason why the Dead Sea is dead is because water flows into it, but water does not flow out of it. And so the water stays there, and it's contained there, and it just, it, it just uh, nothing can survive in it. And, and so... This is how we ought to be. We ought to be conduits of truth. We're, water, we're, we're living water, and the word of God flows into us, but then it also flows out of us. We don't want to be dead ends of truth, where it just stops at you, where you hear a message and it just just dead with you, but that it would flow from you and out of you. And isn't this a fact that you know you have learned something once you're able to teach it to others? And teaching is often the best way of learning. A teacher will usually benefit as much, if not more, than the one who is being taught. And so you should, at a certain point as a Christian, be able to teach yourself, remind yourself, be self-sufficient in your understanding of knowing and living out the Bible, and you ought to be able to teach others how to do that. But... For some, it looks like there still needs to be some hand-holding, still needs all this attention, support, 
Verse 13 says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. You know, when you first get saved, the Bible calls that being born again. And when you're born again, you're a new believer in Jesus Christ, and it's so awesome. And, and you know, you, you just get to experience the joy and the love of being a child of God. And new believers can be just like babies in a lot of ways. You know, babies cry and make messes. They need constant care and attention. They scream on airplanes, right? My son cries, for instance, he's two, when he doesn't get his way, but he's two. You know, there's some grace for that. You can understand. You know, if, if a 35-year-old was kicking and screaming on an airplane, that's a different story. But even when, as parents, you know, we know that what my son sometimes wants, it's going to hurt him, and we won't give it to him because, you know, it's not helping him. So what he does is he'll cry until he gets what he wants. You know, but in our family, you know, we, we don't just give the babies what they want when they're crying and throwing a tantrum. At least we try not to, right? Um, and so we don't expect brand new Christians to be skilled in the word of righteousness. If you've only been a believer for a couple months, I don't expect you to know who Melchizedek is. But we should expect that those who have been Christians for a time, at least a significant portion of time, should be skilled in the word of God. See, it's right and it's good for a baby to nurse for a period of time. But if someone is an adult, a full-grown adult, and they're still nursing, still crying, still making messes, still throwing tantrums, there seems to be a serious problem. You know what it is? A one- or two-year-old nursing its mother is sweet and good. A 25-year-old still nursing is creepy and wrong. right? Are you getting the analogy of the Bible? And this is the thing. It's, you've got these 25-year-old Christians who really have just been one-year-old Christians 25 times and who are like babies making messes and whining and, and still nursing on milk when they ought to be and they should have already moved on to maturity. So verse 14 says, but salt, everyone's still good, by the way? We're all good? Okay. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So this analogy of children learning to digest food is being used, and solid food, solid meat is like Jesus being the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is meat for the mature. We're going to get into this stuff, but we got to make sure you're ready for it. Are you mature enough to eat it? Because look, children put everything in their mouths when they're born, and yet there should come a time when you should know it's not good to eat Legos. You know, and, and and you may go through a time in your life when dino nuggets and Kraft macaroni and cheese is all you'll eat. But if you're a full-grown man and you're still eating dino nuggets and Kraft macaroni and cheese, anyways, on a physical level, 
If that's your appetite and that's what you like to eat, that's fine on a physical level. But on a spiritual level, it's wrong. You should move on from dino nuggets to tri-tip, from Kraft mac and roni and cheese to something like poke, you know, which I had a lot of this week. I was proud of my two-year-old son who ate poke this week in Hawaii. You know, we, we want to say that we would have a better trained palate, that we would have a better digestive system to be able to handle the things of God's word rather than just living off of the milk. You know, one time, I love this story, my, I was at a school event with my daughter and she came up to me and she said she was hungry. And so I gave her some money and she went over to one of these booths at the, at the thing and she, she chose her own food. She, she bought it and she came back to me And you know what she picked out for herself? She came back with cotton candy. And I said, I thought you were hungry. She says, I am. And I said, wait a minute. Do you understand that this cotton candy is all fluffy and nice? It's just going to turn into just this much sugar? And I came to coin this idea of cotton candy Christianity. Generally speaking, you know, I'd say that people are really spiritually hungry. People want food. They want nourishment. Yet there's some believers who seem to be feeding themselves on cotton candy, this junk food Christianity where, where, you know, they listen to things that are big and attractive and sweet, and it looks awesome to a child who doesn't realize that there's no nutritional value in candy. But, But when it consumes... When it's consumed, you know, it's sweet and it's good, but it doesn't benefit you like, like, like solid food does. And so instead of people getting the pure milk of the word of God and growing in your ability to digest the meat of God's word, what you've got is a bunch of people feasting on cotton candy, thinking that it's going to satisfy their hunger, but it won't. And so that's why, you know, in this church, we don't teach just the nice fluffy things that you want to hear. And, you know, I came back from my trip not really wanting to preach a heavy message like this. You know, I would have liked maybe a little bit of a lighter passage for this Sunday. But, you know, when you come into God's Word and you go through the Word of God like we do in this church, which is verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible, you're going to have to cross these warnings. You know, if you teach the Bible in the way that the Bible ought to be taught, you're going to have to talk about things like hell. Look, if we didn't teach the Bible like we do here, when would I just choose on a Sunday? You know what? I feel like I'm going to talk about hell today. (laughs) You know? You don't. By nature, we avoid the heavy stuff. By nature, we we like the the light and the fluffy and the comforting. And and look, I get that there's a time for that stuff. But there's also a time where you need to go deeper. There's also a time where, you know, if I only ever teach you the things you already know, I'm teaching too low. If I only ever preach to the things that you already do, what benefit is that to you? See, I always hope to bring something from this pulpit, something for everyone. New believers, mature believers, but but look, that's not only dependent upon the one who is speaking, that is very much dependent upon the one who is hearing. And I'll say this. A spiritually mature person will rarely say, I didn't get anything out of that message. You know, if, if, if you can make it out of this service today 
and just be like, meh. Like, whoa, should be warned. Perhaps you've become dull of hearing. Now, this is a heart problem, right? And God, by his word and by his spirit, can change our hearts. But you've got to hear. You've got to hear it with faith. Now, perhaps the reason why some Christians are not growing is because, you know, they're sitting in churches that only serve up cotton candy. And if you teach the Bible, then eventually you'll have to address who Melchizedek is and these meaty things that are going to nourish the soul. So let me say this. If you've been in this church for two and a half years since we've started, and in those two and a half years, if you aren't able to say that you've grown since the first time you came, then there might be something off. I never want to get to this point where I've plateaued in my faith. Where, you know, like, and and I always want to grow in my ability to preach the word of God, uh, preach in the power of the Holy Spirit, to give you understanding. I never want to commit the crime of having dull preaching. (laughs) But again, the issue usually doesn't lie with the preacher. The issue usually lies with the hearer. So I hope and pray that I can become sharper over time in my preaching of the Word of God, but, but as a church, would we grow sharper in time with our hearing of the Word of God? We become sharper because we're a church that isn't just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. And so even I tremble over next week's sermon already. One of the hardest passages in all of the Bible to interpret is next Sunday. And it's the second half of this warning. So if you don't like the warning section, stay home next Sunday. <laughs> you know? You know? But if you're saying, you know, oh man, Pastor Daniel hurt my feelings this Sunday. You know? Like, wow, so heavy. You know, it's like, are we, are we being mature? Because there's going to be some times when, look, there's things that I'll say that I wouldn't say them unless the Word of God did. And in 1 Corinthians 3, there's a parallel to this passage that you ought to go check it out. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul says, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? When one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Paul notes there that one of the marks of spiritual immaturity is when flesh-driven people create factions in the body of Christ. A sure sign that someone's being a big baby is when they stir up jealousy, strife, and division, and they make a big fuss and mess in the church. When people start dividing churches, for instance, on the basis of their favorite teachers, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And so the point is, is that we're supposed to be spiritually mature people. Amen? I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, but I'm going to leave a lot of meat on the bones because we're coming to it next Sunday. 
It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So we need to be spiritual mature people. And and it starts with a foundation, and the foundation of faith is key But it says, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. There's a foundation. There's the ABCs of Christianity, the rudimentary principles of what it means to have faith, what it means to repent, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that foundation ought to be laid, and then you build upon that foundation. But some people still only have the foundation, and nothing is being built. And so the writer lists several elementary doctrines of Christ, and depending upon how long you've been walking with Jesus, these are things you ought to already know and understand. And I'll I'll make a note here, the writer of Hebrews takes no time to explain these doctrines. And so I'm not even going to take any time to explain this text, because this is something that you should already know, because even as I look out, I recognize about 80% of the faces And you should already know these things. Do you know what it is to have a foundation of repentance from dead works? Do you know what it is to have a foundation of faith toward God? Uh, Instructions about washing. Do you know about baptism? The laying on of hands. Do you understand what that means and what that's for? The resurrection of the dead. The eternal judgments. Do Do you comprehend? Do you know these things? And are you able to teach these things to other people? And so if, if going through that list, if any of it seems fuzzy or unclear to you, you ought to study your Bible. And you ought to maybe ask for help with that. And there are many people, many people in this church who would love to help you to grow in your understanding of Christ. Because we wouldn't want anyone here to have sat in a church for 25 years and yet you're still like a one or two year old. And so the writer rebuked his readers for their spiritual immaturity, for not understanding. And nothing was going to be gained by treating them as immature or even just continuing to explain the simple things again and again and again. Instead, he warns them. He says, this is on you. You need to grow up. No one likes to be told to grow up, right? Even if, especially if you're a full-grown adult you know, grow up, you know, or tell your, your kids, you know, my son is six, so act your age, you know, look at your two-year-old, he's, he's acting older than you are right now, right? No one likes to be told to grow up, but sometimes we need to be told to grow up. Sometimes we need to recognize that there's more maturity for us to grow into. One commentator said on this text, and I'll end here, he said, Peter Pan makes a charming play on the stage, but the man who will not grow up makes a tragedy in real life. So I hope that you have heard what has been spoken today, that you've heard it with faith, you've heard it with self-examination. In verse three, it says, this we will do if God permits. And that brings so much comfort to me, knowing that this doesn't just depend upon me. This depends upon the God of all grace, knowledge. But the thing that I know about God is 
This is what I know about God. God will not permit me to know more if I'm not doing what I already know. So do what you know, teach what you know, and then expect that God will reveal more to you. Go learn what Jesus meant when he said this. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. If you don't know what that means, go learn what that means. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in our hearts. Lord, we know that new birth takes but a moment, but spiritual maturity takes a lifetime. Lord, the mark of spiritual maturity is not how much we understand, but how much we're using. And Lord, I'm even convicted in my heart right now, Lord, because there's things I know from your word, and I may have understanding about it, but Lord, am I doing it? Because I know, Lord, in, in your kingdom, the opposite of ignorance is not knowledge, but obedience. I want to do the things that you've told me to do. I want to live these things. I want to understand them so that I can live them. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you would, by your spirit and by your word today, um, work in our hearts. Thank you for this warning. And we ask that we heed it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.